Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. Patients are not receiving a lot of the recommended care that guidelines, uh, in general, there's consensus that they should receive. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Historically, medical training focused almost exclusively on the skills and actions of the individual doctor. But increasingly, clinical training has begun to incorporate an understanding of the contributions of the team of both clinical and non-clinical staff who care for a patient. We know teams are important, but the evidence base regarding the effectiveness of teams and the best configuration of care teams is actually still quite limited. What evidence do we have that teams provide better clinical care? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. Today, I'm joined by Max Pani and Lucy Chen. Both are MD-PhD candidates at Harvard Medical School, and they are co-first authors of a paper we published in the March 2021 edition of Health Affairs. Their paper looks at how effectively patients with chronic conditions had those conditions managed, depending on whether they received care from a solo practitioner or from a care team. Lucy Chen, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Alan, for having us. And Max Pani, welcome to the program. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, let's jump into the study. Let's set the stage here because the findings are interesting, but they're only understandable in the context of what you are looking at. You are looking at management of chronic conditions. Uh, You're both training to be doctors. What chronic conditions were you focused on? How did you define those? What does it mean to have and have a chronic disease effectively managed? That's exactly right, Alan. So we looked at three chronic conditions, the first one being type 2 diabetes, the second one being hypertension, and the third one being hyperlipidemia. Um, It's important to note that we looked at um, new onset chronic disease. So we really aimed to identify the first time that a patient would be diagnosed with those diseases. We believe that's important because care decisions can differ at the beginning of sort of being diagnosed with a new disease versus later on in the treatment course. And to give you a little bit more detail, for type 2 diabetes, for all three rather, we used biomarker values to define that new onset of the disease. Um, For type 2 diabetes, that would be hemoglobin A1c, and we used a value being greater than 6.5% as diagnostic. Uh, For hypertension, uh, we used three consecutive measurements of systolic blood pressure, and there was actually a change in the hypertension guidelines during our study period. And so, you know, we defined the diagnosis of hypertension depending on the guideline in effect during that time period, which was either greater than 140 or greater than 130 um, in terms of systolic blood pressure. And for hyperlipidemia, we used an LDL cholesterol value of greater than 160 milligrams per deciliters. Here, I have to say that is the one that is sort of most caveated in the sense that the diagnosis of hyperlipidemia Um, also depends on other risk factors that we were not able to observe in our data. So it may be that there are some people with hyperlipidemia that we missed essentially in our data. I appreciate you raising the caveat, but it's important to understand you're, as you said, you're using biomarkers. So this isn't like drawing from claims data and seeing who's taking a certain medication, but you don't really have any idea what the underlying disease is. You actually have lab values, clinical clinical information on these patients you know that they're newly diagnosed and now they need their care managed. What what does it take to manage care for these conditions? That's exactly right. And that is one of the 
really big advantages of the data that we um, were able to use, which is its uh, electronic health record data, which has that clinical depth in terms of the biomarkers. But also the particular data set that we had was great because it had a geographic breadth. So it covered 250 distinct practices in 175 distinct um, organizations across the U.S. Okay, so you're looking to how effectively these newly diagnosed chronic conditions are managed. And then you're looking at who's the care team or the uh, clinician who's, uh, who's uh, providing care to the patient. Uh, your focus is on teams and solo care. So let's go to that sort of side of the equation, if you will. What does it mean to be cared for by a team? Who's on a team? How do you know who's being cared for by a team? So team-based care is something that is sometimes really hard to define in large data sets because often you might see, be able to observe the billing provider, but you might not actually see the, the name of the person who's delivering that care to you, the p- name of the person who's actually conducting the visit with the patient. And so the great thing about the electronic health record data that we had was that we could actually see who saw the patient and whether that person was a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, or a physician. And so we looked at the people who cared for a patient um, in the six months before that patient received an abnormal lab value that was diagnostic for one of the three chronic diseases we studied. And of course, this is a limited definition of teamwork, right? We don't see social workers, we don't see behavioral health specialists who are licensed with a different license or pharmacists. But we think that this is an improvement upon other data sources that limit the number of nurse practitioners and physician assistants that we see. And we we were careful to think about what timeline makes sense for defining teamwork. We ended up going with six months, but we tested, you know, 12 months um, and some other time windows and trying to balance capturing the providers that are actually involved right around the time of disease diagnosis versus you know, the risk of capturing care that might not be related exactly to the disease diagnosis at the time, but is earlier care that the patient received. So I want you to help our listeners understand what it takes to effectively manage these conditions and how that relates to the skills and training of the different professionals you referred to. If you're not in clinical practice, these terms and uh, the, the, the levels of training, the types of care these folks can provide may be a bit mysterious. So help us understand where these various folks fit potentially in a care team. Sure, of course. Of course, um, the, the team teams often differ by the context of the practice, but speaking in broad generalizations, um, a lot of primary care practices are leveraging non-physician providers like nurse practitioners and physician assistants to help with chronic disease management. And this is because a lot of chronic disease management is actually about counseling with the patient, about lifestyle modifications, about taking your medications um, on a regular basis, and about other things like behavior change that are really hard to do and require perhaps more counseling um, and time with a provider to really figure out what's important for the patient and what barriers the patient might face in managing their chronic disease. Depending on the different training of different providers like NPs or PAs, they might be better or more equipped to, to have such conversations with patients, and that could depend on the patient, him or herself. So that's kind of some hypotheses that, that we have about why we saw 
that teams really helped. It might just be that having multiple people checking in on you, keeping an eye on you, seeing you in clinic really helps improve the management of your disease. And this probably goes without saying, but you're talking about common chronic conditions where, as you said, the primary elements of management are not highly clinically complex. They may be socially complex. So everyone who you've described as a clinician in those teams has the, the clinical knowledge necessary to support care management. This isn't a situation where the expertise of the most highly trained member of the team is critical to effective management for the typical patient. Is that a fair way to think about this? Yes, I think that's definitely fair. And that's also why we focused on these patients who have a new onset of chronic disease, because it's less likely typically on average to be complicated. And there are many clinical guidelines that will provide a treatment path that is clear and that many providers are trained to to handle in, in a variety of professions. Great. So let's start looking at what you found. At the top level, you're comparing uh, the effectiveness of management by teams and solo practitioners. What's What's the story? The top line finding is that we found that provider teams outperform solo providers in the management of new onset chronic diseases. So diabetes, hyperlipidemia, hypertension. And we found this effect actually across a variety of different outcomes. We looked at disease control as measured by a patient's biomarker um, coming under a some target value set by clinical guidelines within a year. And we also looked at um, disease monitoring, so whether patients received the recommended follow-up tests of their biomarkers, as well as prescribing behavior, so whether patients received um, prescription orders for drugs like metformin for diabetes or statins for hyperlipidemia or antihypertensives. And then finally, the last outcome we looked at was whether patients had a claim with a diagnosis of the disease, trying to get a sense of whether providers are kind of picking up that, that this diagnostic biomarker was abnormal. Well, that's a great overview of the findings. We're going to dig a lot deeper into those after we take a quick break. What does it mean for health system leaders to pursue a culture of health? To help answer this question, Health Affairs launched Leading to Health, a series supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Health Affairs recently collected these lessons on a new, easy-to-navigate resource page. You can find every article in the series and also related podcasts, blogs, and interactive maps. Visit healthaffairs.org leading dash to dash health and stay up to date on the latest reporting and research. And I'm back with Lucy Chen and Max Pani talking about team and solo care and how effective they are in helping patients manage their chronic diseases. Before the break, you gave us sort of the top line finding about uh, teams being more effective. Uh, earlier on, we were talking about the different training levels of potential team members. Your study looked a lot at who was on the team. Tell us a little more about how team composition was related to uh, the ability to control these uh, chronic conditions. Great question, Alan. We found that team composition actually didn't end up mattering much. In fact, except for 
one outcome, which was the control of um, hypertension, teams were more effective than solar providers, and that was irrespective of their composition. So, you know, teams of multiple physicians, teams that were mixed, meaning they they would include a physician and a non-physician, and teams of non-physicians, so NPs and PAs, were equally effective pretty much across the board, which is a finding that both surprised us a little bit and um, has some interesting policy implications, we think. Uh, tell me why it surprised you and what you think the implications are. It surprised us because um, these uh, different provider types really have um, different training. And so, you know, you could imagine ahead of time that for some of these diseases uh, that really sort of a team that is either a little bit more technical because they have more technical training or a team that is sort of like, you know, more relational in their care would be more effective. We know from a large literature that behavior change is really hard and that sort of, you know, a lot of relational care is really helpful. And so we didn't have a strong sense of which direction it might go, but we would think that across all the outcomes we looked at, you know, at least some differences would emerge. They really pretty much did not. Um, and so that was surprising. And uh, the implications of this, we think, is that it's really the top line finding. Teams outperform solo providers, which then means how do we encourage uh, team-based care? So what are the you know, policy instruments that we can put to use to sort of encourage the formation of teams and then sort of encourage the functioning of teams? And that latter question of functioning of teams is really one that is um, fairly underexplored in healthcare um, as of now. And that is one that you know we really only scratched the surface off. So we we found that teams did better and we sort of have some suspicions or hypotheses as to why they might, might have done better, but we really don't know in the end why. And that is something that we're currently working on and uh, hoping to elucidate in, in the future. You definitely find an effect, but as you note in the paper, the overall levels of success are pretty low regardless of whether you're cared for by an individual practitioner or a team. Can you just uh, elucidate that, uh, those data a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So this is in line with, again, a long line of literature that, that has shown uh, since sort of the early 2000s that um, really patients are not receiving a lot of the recommended care that guidelines uh, and that in general, there's consensus that they should receive. And sort of like a, a uh, famous finding is that patients receive only a little bit over half of the recommended care. And this was true across, you know, chronic care, but also acute care. Here in our study, we're really only looking at um, chronic disease management, but our finding of sort of the low absolute performance um, across teams and solo providers is very much consistent with, with what, we, what we had uh, known uh, prior. And uh, you're very right, Alan, that one policy objective should be thinking critically about how can we sort of like increase overall performance. Uh, and that is sort of like a very vast space that, you know, benefits from a lot of different studies and thought. But yet we think that defining that teams outperform solo providers, you know, offers a little bit of a of sort of hope that there is at least, you know, some something we can do sort of at the margin to give patients better care, recognizing that it won't solve the overall or all of the problems. One topic that comes up in the paper when you talk about policy is scope of practice laws. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into this. Uh, it's a very complex subject, but at least introduce the concept uh, to our listeners and explain why you think that may be relevant to the formation of, of care teams. Scope of practice regulations um, really determine sort of the um, services that different provider types are legally allowed to provide. And uh, they differ 
vastly across um, states and also across provider types, so across, you know, NPs and PAs. And, you know, we started out this project really being interested in the impact of team-based care, and then um, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, took hold. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there were temporary relaxations of scope of practice laws um, across across different states. And uh, that for us really raised this uh, interesting question that we hadn't seen discussed, which is, is there a potential intersection between scope of practice changes, so either you know relaxations um, or sort of the other way, and uh, team-based care? And the idea here is that scope of practice determines what providers can do, and so by that it might might sort of influence the propensity of different providers to form care teams. So our study does not speak to that aspect, though our study speaks to the aspect that, you know, teams did better than solo providers. And so putting these two things together would really mean that if scope of practice changes influence the propensity of providers to uh, form teams, then team-based care is one mechanism by which scope of practice changes might influence care outcomes. And that open question of whether scope of practice changes influence um, the propensity of providers to form teams is one that we're uh, planning on studying and, and are currently in the process of um, of starting. Well, that's a perfect uh, pivot to you're both uh, in these joint programs for an MD PhD. Quite a uh, heavy lift you've got that you've chosen to take on, um, but it does give you this opportunity to bring clinical training and uh, health services research together. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you how you think about that bridge and what insight your clinical training brings to your research, how the fact that you're doing research affects your approach to your clinical training. Sure, Alan, I really love this question. And I love that this paper um, kind of captures the the clinical interests and the research interests of mine. And, you know, clinically, as medical students, you are part of a team, usually, um, with a resident, with an attending, um, with other um, professions, I observed during my own training that oh, teams, you know, seem to really help their patients. But when I looked to the evidence, um, there was some evidence, but not any way to really back up what I was seeing. And I, I felt like there was something there to to study. And so that's kind of what got me interested in teamwork in terms of how it impacted the research we did for this particular paper. Um, it really helped us crystallize the diseases and the management of those diseases. Because in medical school, we learn about these chronic diseases and how to treat them and how to diagnose them. And so it, it helped us um, kind of understand uh, what um, treatment pathways should be, as well as design the study in, in the most rigorous way possible. And then in terms of how the research affects my future clinical practice, you know, it's still a while away. But um, I think no matter what I end up focusing on clinically, it'll be important to practice good teamwork and get training that teaches you how to be a good team player. And I'll just say, if we had been doing this podcast 30 years ago, that, that sentence probably would not have come out of your mouth. So that's definitely uh, reflects some evolution in medical training. Max? I echo a lot of the points that um, Lucy made. So um for me, really, you know, clinical training um, helps me select the topics that I'm interested in studying, um, often because they come up naturally. When you work clinically, you might have, you might observe uh, certain aspects about how the healthcare system functions, certain aspects about patient care and sort of how providers relate to patients. And similarly, I want to emphasize uh, the other point that Lucy made, which is um, study design. 
So really the, you know, the focus on identifying new onset disease is one that we had because we sort of had made that observation clinically that care at the beginning of a disease is very different than sort of care later down the line. And uh, it really is what gives us confidence that our findings reflect something um, that's actually meaningful and relevant uh, to clinical practice. Lastly, sort of the question of how research affects uh, my approach to clinical care. I, I think, again, similarly, it's it's sort of like for this specific study, it's an appreciation, a deepening appreciation for teams. So I always enjoyed working in teams. But now, you know, I will sort of like keep an extra eye out for opportunities to foster teamwork, um, contribute to teams, and also sort of like, you know, advocate for teams and other team members. Well, uh, Max and Lucy, it's been great talking to you. It's a really interesting paper. As uh, Lucy, you just noted, the evidence here is limited. So your contribution uh, to it is very meaningful and valuable to the field. Um, I wish you luck in your training and your future research and clinical endeavors. And thanks for joining me on today's edition of A Health Policy. Thanks so much, Alan. This was so fun. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.